Kia ora. Hi everybody, nice to see you. Those that are playing at home, nice to see you. If we ever met, my name is uh, Pastor Trey. It is good to see you. How's everybody doing this morning? Really good to see you. Hey, I've asked uh, Elliot to stay out for a moment because um, part of my job is I get the privilege to be in lots of different church spaces. And it's actually been, this is week four of me not being at, at home with you guys. Uh, I was preaching another church, great church. Um, then my I decided it didn't want to do its job anymore and bunged out on me. And I just had a stitch removed. Um, is anyone is anyone like really like queasy around eyes? All right, we've got this giant eye. No, I won't do that to you. So, um, and then last week we were with uh, our group of church family, and that was cool. Uh, but during the week, often I get to be in church environments, church settings. Um, and throughout the year, I get to speak in different churches. And um, I was just in here this morning, and I was just really excited, really thankful to be in our house this morning. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that we are any better than anyone else. In fact, you'd be able to go through and look and go, well, ah, you know, they were too long here and they didn't do that right. And Elliot played a wrong chord. No, that never happens. Um, but there was things that didn't happen, and, and that absolutely happens at, here at Cornerstone, if you haven't noticed. We're not too worried about the minor. We're never going to major on the minor things. Um, but there are those, there's lots of little things that we could work on and we could do. Um, but when I'm at different churches, I often get the feeling, and when I talk to people, I try and talk to people, which is awkward for me because I'm a bit of an introvert, so I go and introduce myself and say hello and often people don't know that I'm the guest speaker and so when they're really awkward and then they're like I just want to go talk to my friends and they leave and then they see me up there on the thing they're like (sighs) and I'm like you (laughs) anyway I get the I get the feeling often people are attending church they're attending a thing that gets put on for us look at this beautiful thing that gets put on for me Look at this beautiful specimen playing guitar for me. Look at these chairs that were put out for me. There's an attending. There's this kind of, oh, I just go to church and they give me stuff. Maybe maybe the one-eyed pastor will tell a joke or trip up on something. And maybe I might get something cool once every now and then. And that's cool to attend. But I just got in the spirit. I wrote it down on my hand, which I can't even read what it says. <laughs> But I just feel in my spirit, there's one thing about Cornerstone that I think is a little bit different. We're just not attendees, we're contendees. You know, oh, that's not, that's, we, that's not right in my life. I'm going to work on this. Oh, hey, spouse, there's this little area that maybe you could work on to say. The contending, the not willing to just leave things go. When we, um, when we were designing our, um, our cornerstones, our five big stones that, that build up what cornerstone is, I love uh, Warren said, oh, one of them has to be growing. One of them has to be this idea that we have not actually ever made it, that we're still developing and still growing. How many people love it when a very, very wise um, <clears throat> man who's getting close to a certain number that has an eight in it, just saying... Um, who's done like a million years of, or 11 to years, that's what I usually say, 11 to years of ministry, stands up and says, I haven't figured it all out and I'm working and I'm growing. 
I just love that in this spirit, in this, in this house, there's this, we won't just attend, we're going to contend. We're going to develop, we're going to grow. And hey, church isn't perfect, but I'll think about it. I'll, I'll think about what I'd like to do. I'll go talk to someone, all of that sort of stuff. I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you for your willingness to grow and to develop. And I just, it's a difference that I see in other places. So again, I just want to say thank you. Cool. Let's give Elliot a big round of applause. Right, uh, people at the end of your seats, if you look underneath your seats, there's a spot prize. No, no spot prize. Uh, oh, you stopped. Matt was like, oh, I've got no spot prize. I'm not even going to be over and pick it up. There are some study guides. If you look underneath, there will be some study guides. Someone down the other end has one. There's probably enough for every two people. So if you're a couple, maybe grab one of those. There should be some pens around. If you're the sort of person that likes uh, to write notes, grab this. If you're not, just look at the pretty pictures and draw a picture of me on the back, whatever you want to do. Then you have to submit that to me, and then you get a spot prize. No. Does anyone remember when we used to do the Acts series? We were working our way through, and we got up to Acts chapter 11, and uh, I really wanted to, um, I actually had another sermon uh, up until Tuesday, I think. Um, It was called Resilience. It's a great sermon. God just, in my heart, and I wanted, to give, I wanted to give it this Sunday, and then I really felt a bit of a check in my spirit that actually it's something for next year. I was like, cool, well, I'll listen to you. And then I read Acts 12, and I went, oh, yeah, that's good. How did I do it? Oh, yeah, that's good. I'm sounding like Barry White this morning. Okay, so we're going to work our way through Acts 12 as a guide. If you've never sat in one of these, we've done 11 before these, um, write your name on it because otherwise you'll leave it or your partner will try and steal it or something. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to walk our way through it. But I'm going to stop every now and then and I'm going to preach about something. Okay, is that cool? So we're going to walk our way through this story, but there's actually some really cool stuff. Because how many people know that information isn't enough? Information's great. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had lots of information, but we need transformation from that information, right? So we're going to hopefully try and apply some of that to our lives this morning. Oh, my Bible, I need that. Right, Acts chapter 12. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk our way through it. Um, If you're on your uh, cellular device, um, pick NIV just because that's what I'm using, um, and it just seems to be one of the more standard ways of communicating across a broad group of people. I'm having one of those mornings. I had to do some printing this morning, and the printer was not playing nice at the hub. Um, I almost laid hands on it. Not in prayer. How many people know that sometimes you you face adversity, and actually the the success is sweeter when you actually do? Because I was like, it was like, replace... What's the one that, uh, for yellow, is it, what do they call that, cayenne or something? No, blue, like cyan or whatever it is. And I was like, what is cyan? I don't know what cyan is. I can't find cyan. I was like, it's blue. Okay, there's the blue one. Popped it in, popped it in. We got there. Anyway, uh, that was my morning this morning. Uh, let's kick off. Chapter 12, let's read along together. It was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, and he put, to de- put him to death with the sword. Herod, um, 
little information on Herod, Acts 12. That's us today. Herod, there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. This particular one is called Herod Agrippa or uh, Herod uh, the second, um, and he's the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, and he was the one that when Jesus was born, he killed all of the firstborn uh, children trying to find the promised Messiah. Um, lots of Herods, but this guy, like a lot of the Herods, had a lot of issues, um, and he wasn't a particularly great guy. Um, and you're going to read a little bit about him as we work through this morning. Um, James. Uh, James, he's one of the apostles, one of the disciples. And so James, actually, if you look at it, he was the very first, if you want to write down in your book, uh, he was the very first martyr um, of the disciples. Now, we've already had Stephen be killed and we've had others, but this is one of the ones, one of the 12 that was with Jesus. He's the first one to go. And guess what? Spoiler alert, he's not the last by any means. I think, is it all but one got um, martyred, I believe, for their faith. All right, let's move on. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But after arresting him, he put him in prison, uh, handing him over to be guarded by four guards of four soldiers each. The reason that Herod couldn't kill him was because it was the Passover festival. And the Passover festival, by Jewish custom, you couldn't outwork any uh, capital punishment. You weren't able to do it. Now, all capital punishment at this timeline had to be done through the Romans. So they had to get approval for the Romans. You couldn't just go killing anyone in the Jewish culture. You had to work through the Romans. So you're not allowed to kill anyone through Passover. Except, does anyone remember who did get killed in Passover? It was Jesus. Uh, And so there was breaking of the rules about killing Jesus over that time, which I find is interesting. It's an interesting time in the early church. Okay. Uh, After After arresting him, he put him in prison, uh, handing him over to be guarded by four guards of four soldiers each. How many guards is that? That's a lot of guards. Um, why so many guards? Well, there's a reason why there were so many guards. Um, this is the thing. You know how we talk about that C word when we talk about Scripture? And when we do these um, uh, exegetical sermons, we always talk about that C word. And it, Thank you. Context. This is why context is really important. Why do they need 16 men to guard one dude? It's not like he was Jason Bourne or something. Um, it's all right. Some of you are like, who? Who's that? Does he come to church? I don't know him. <laughs> oh, and he's friends with Horatio. Yes, I understand. No. no. Um, there's a reason why, and the context of this is uh, that's how many it is. That's a lot of guys for one, one guy. But what they did is they had two 12-hour shifts, eight guys, um, and two of them were uh, chained to the prisoner, and then two were in the doorway, and then uh, there were four others keeping on uh, look, and then they had two basically shifts. Uh, and the reason why there were so many guards is we have to remember the context. What happened earlier? Well, we remember, if you uh, were playing along at home, we were doing Acts chapter 5, and in Acts chapter 5, um, all of the apostles escaped. Acts 5 chapter 18, uh, sorry, chapter 5 verse 18. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors and brought them all out. So 
If you're the guy in charge of the jail and you know that you get your head chopped off if anyone goes missing and every time you get one of those pesky apostles, they like do Scooby-Doo magic and just disappear, you're going to go and go, hey, 16 people per one guy, thank you very much. And he would have been sitting at home, the guard guy, and if you know the story, you know what happens, being like, ah, sweet, I've, I've done my due diligence, everything's good, I'll keep my head tomorrow. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Okay. So Peter was kept in prison. Uh, hang on, wait. Um, uh, after arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to be uh, guards. He uh, intended to bring him out for the uh, public trial and the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying. The church was earnestly praying. And that might be a, f- a, f- a phrase that we could walk over really quickly. But we're going to camp around that for a little while, this idea that the church was earnestly praying. Um, it's an interesting thought. You know, down on your things, you'll see Stephen has been killed. Major persecution has happened to the church. James is dead. And Peter is in, let's read that again. Stephen's been killed. Major persecution has happened to the church. James is dead, and now even Peter is in prison. That's not good for the church leadership. That would be like, uh, Lennon, uh, he's in prison. I've had my head taken off. Uh, beard. Uh, beard. <laughs> it's been a really long week. I should have laid hands on that printer. Oh. Beard. I, you know what my brain did? Just went over and went, beard. <laughs> Warren, who has a beard. It's not his name. It's not his nickname. Warren, uh, he's, he's been killed. And then it's just like Rob has been tortured. And, and it's a bad day for the church. And, you know, maybe you could ask the question, because if you don't know, guess what? Spoiler alert again. Peter gets out of prison. So maybe you might want to ask, hang on a second, why is it that James, poor James, he's the one that gets killed, killed with a sword, but Peter, he gets to survive. Why does that happen? Why does sometimes one thing happen to one person, one completely different thing happens to another? Anyone ever wondered that? Looking at their friend with the new car, and you're like, oh, that's really cool for you. Why does he get one? I didn't get one. It's a, it's a fun one to wrestle with. Why did one have to die, and why are some saved? The church did the right thing under massive persecution, under a massive issue. What did the church do? Did they post on Facebook? No. Did they do this? Did they do that? Did they talk to these people? Did they um, try and get the government to listen to them? No. They did one thing. They gathered, and they prayed. It's all they really had available to them. Gosh, if you've not heard this before, there is power, power, power in prayer. Does anyone fully understand the miraculous and inner workings of God and how prayer works? Put your hand up. I don't fully understand either. How many people know that it does work? (laughs) It's kind of like plane engines. I'm just glad they work. I don't need to understand how it works completely. I want you to have a quick discussion topic. Now, here's an interesting thought. Some of you right now will be like, I didn't come to church for this. 
You, I'm here to pay, well, I don't pay, but I'm here for you to give me a nice, sweet little sermon. Thank you very much, Mr. Man with the microphone. Um, what I would like you to do is you are awesome. You are powerful, and you and the person next to you have awesome stuff to say. Guess what? I do not have everything. Just because I'm holding the microphone does certainly in this room, and I can think of a bunch of you, does not make me the most qualified or the best around a particular subject. There'll be someone here who says something that will be like a mic drop moment. What I'd like you to do is just in a group of three or four people, I want you to discuss just a really like easy kind of subject. It's not a difficult one at all. Um, this one here, uh, how do you wrestle with the understanding and living of your uh, God's ways, plans, and timing versus how you want them to go? You know that old joke, how do you make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Has anyone ever wrestled with God's timing and God's understanding like in, in, in your understanding? We know that God's ways are not our ways, but what does that look like for you? What do you do? Have you struggled with that? You have two minutes just ask the person next to you, have a little conversation. If they're a bit shy, maybe do three minutes of chat. Just talk about that, and I'll come back to you. But I'm, I'm wanting to see if, there's, if you can have a good conversation, if there's gold in that conversation. Can we do that now? Just while some quiet music is in the background, turn to the person next to you and say hi. If someone's sitting by themselves, go say hi. You've got two minutes. There's the question up there. All right. Hey, I'm going to do something a bit scary. Does anyone feel like, man, someone had a really good point or someone nailed that in a sentence and is confident to say something? Just their first thought? Thank you. There we go. (laughs) This is not long after the disciples had been given the command by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel and lo, I will be with you always. So when Peter was taken and put in prison, they remembered and had confidence that if the work of God was going to go forward, and Peter was the leader of the disciples, then the work of God was going to continue. So there was a certainty as a basis for their prayer. They weren't just paying willy-nilly prayers, oh God, you know, please, if it be your will, let Peter be, um, come out of prison. No, they had confidence in their prayer. And surely this is the basis, sorry, this is your sermon, not mine. Surely confidence, confidence in the word of God is the basis for our prayers. Surely if God is who he says he is, and God will do what God says he will do, that is the basis of our faith. Now if I remember correctly, our dear friend Warren had a sermon not long ago based on the um, promise to Abraham that was based on Abraham's faith, but Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And that's the basis for all our faith. God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. And really, all we need to do is believe it. Not anything else. That's the foundation stuff. If you believe the foundation, anything built on that will give us confidence to move forward in our lives and circumstances. Thank you, Amen. You got 20 more minutes, mate. Great. Stole my points, but all good. All good. No worries. Okay. I did ask. You can just imagine Jenny saying, You should have known. <laughs> uh, no. You're awesome. Okay. 
this great verse comes up. There we go. Acts 12, 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. You know, um, I've got there uh, Mark 10, 38. There's a whole thing about God's timing, God's understanding, God's knowing. In Mark 10, 38, it talks about how in Jesus, uh, the apostles come up to me like, hey, who's best? Who's going to sit at your left hand, right hand? Um, and what happens is James, remember James who just got killed, um, he said, you know, I, I want to do everything that you want to do. And he says, you can, do you want to drink from this cup? And what he means by that is, do you want to do everything that I have to do? And he says, yes, God, I want to, earnestly. And he says, well, you will. And so God had his time, and he knew that James, in probably a few months' time, is going to be martyred for faith. Uh, and so God preordains things. We don't understand how or why, but we know that God is in control ultimately. And that's a question that we can ask him when we see him. Acts 12, I think essentially at its core, helps build or helps create um, and it helps develop our theology of prayer. So if you're trying to fill that in underneath the picture, a theology of prayer. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of ideas out there about how and why prayer works and what you must do for prayer to work. Anyone kind of remember the hyper-faith movement of the late 90s into the early 2000s? You know, claim it. No, name it and claim it. If you just pray the right way, if you just pray hard enough, God will do whatever you want to do as long as you do it the right way. Now, that's an extreme version of what was started as a really cool thing. Um, but that's often what, how things work. And you might have seen some of those, and it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's like, I don't know what to pray. Do I claim healing? Do I ask for healing? Do I declare like this? Or do I humbly come into his courts? How many people know that sometimes it can be a bit confusing? Does anyone fully understand or know how prayer works? I, I don't know if we do. I don't certainly fully understand in every circumstance. What I think is sometimes it's different in different circumstances. You know, we sometimes our prayer changes stuff, but sometimes um, prayer changes us and not the stuff. In fact, I would say almost always when you're praying for people, stuff happens. I've made a habit of people that might ever so slightly tick me off just to pray for them. Okay, I pray for them when I'm on the when I'm running or I'm walking through the streets or whatever. So if you ever see me and I'm saying someone's name from church, shh, no. But I'll often pray for people. No, not not people here, but I'll lift them up and I'll I'll um, edify and I'll and I'll encourage and I'll praise God for that person. And sometimes nothing happens, but what happens? I, there's something in me that changes towards that person, and I go, you know what? They're just a broken child of God who's trying to figure it out, like me. They're not doing it as well as me, no. But, <laughs> all right. There's a thing underneath that picture on yours. Prayer may not change your circumstances, but it does change how we respond to circumstances. It changes how we respond in that space. Prayer may not change our circumstances every time, but it will change how we respond to those circumstances every time. Every one of you has something in your life that you're a little, it's a bit niggly, and it's just a little, it's like a stone in your shoe. 
if you prayed for that situation, I'm not saying it will miraculously change the situation. I am saying that it will affect and develop and grow something in you that is a good thing. Where do we get up to? Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. How could Peter be sleeping? He's going to get his head chopped off tomorrow with a sword or crucified tomorrow in this timeline of his. Tomorrow. In a first century Israeli prison, shackled between two guards. Has anyone ever had to share a tent, like a really small tent, and you wake up and the other person's like, you and I did that in a hotel room once. Different beds, don't, don't be weird. But we were like this close. We woke up and we're like, hey man. Yeah, it was awesome. How did Peter sleep? Chained to two guys on the floor? Well, it's a lot of what um, Matt said. He knew. He knew something, which is really interesting. Do you know what Peter knew? He knew in his heart of hearts that he would not die tomorrow. And you'd be like, well, wow, you don't know that, Pastor Dre. Actually, we do. We do know that. Because there was a promise made to Peter. John 21, verse 18, this is Jesus talking to Peter. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you addressed yourself where you wanted to go. But when you are old, this is the creator of the universe in human form talking to him. He had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He'd seen him killed, raised up again. Who's going to listen to that guy? Of course he's going to listen to him. He remembers he's sitting in prison being like, hmm, I don't know how God's going to do it. I got no idea, but God's going to do it because God said I was going to be an old man. And I don't know how old he was. He probably would have been in his 30s somewhere. That's not old, okay? Shush. Yeah, thanks, Lyndon. He likes bringing that up. I turn a certain number next year. 30. Uh, and um, <clears throat> no, it's not true. Uh, it's not 50 either. Thank you, Elliot. I heard you from back here. <laughs> um, so he, was, he knew he wasn't going to die. So he sits there in full faith, full understanding. How many people have ever been in a moment where they know God's going to come through, but they have, they're, they're chained to the wall? It looks impossible. Anyone ever been in that space? Well, here's something for you. You know, I talked about before that this church, your church, whether you're a guest here, that's totally fine. You're as much a member of this church than anyone else. This is your church. Sometimes people knock at the hub and I say, don't knock on your own door. Come on in. It's yours. It's not mine. It's ours, right? This church is ours. It's everybody's. It's not one person or a small group of people. So if you've never lived in the impossible, guess what? Yes, you do. We have an impossible building <laughs> to build next year. And guess what? That's Kathy's problem. That's Fiona's problem. It's Peter's problem. It's a little bit my problem as well. It's a lot of Rob's problem. <laughs> no, it's not a problem. But we're, we're in a space where the impossible is what looks possible. 
But God can move in the impossible, absolutely, 100%, all the time, if he chooses to, if it's of his will. Big bucks, that's right. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly, uh, hang on, did I jump ahead? Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, uh, bound with two chains and, um, and sentries. They stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, thank you. Uh, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light of the Lord appeared, and a light shone whoops, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up. Do you know why he did that? Because Peter can sleep anywhere. He's sleeping right now, chained to two guys. He was sleeping on the mountain of transcendence. Uh, that's not the way to say it. Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, and he was sleeping on uh, the hill in the Garden of Gethsemane. This guy can sleep. Any, who's one of those people that can sleep anywhere? Yeah, I'm jealous of you people. Yes, um, I'm not one of those people. He could sleep anywhere, so what did the angel have to do? Like literally kick him. Come on, dude, get up. We're doing a miracle. Let's go, let's go. I've been there. Come on, Dre, miracle over here. Follow me, follow me. Okay. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. He had to do something. It was reasonably practical, but he did have to do something. You know, um, sometimes we've got to do the possible in our lives, and God does the impossible. Sometimes in our lives we have to do the ordinary. God comes through and does the extraordinary. Sometimes we have to operate in the natural God comes in and he operates in the supernatural. How amazing is that? The uncreated creator of the universe lives and dwells in you. Sometimes all you've got to do is turn up and say, I'm ready, Lord. I don't know what it looks like. Anyone done that for work? I'm ready, Lord. It's just work in me. I've been there. You know, um, we sometimes look at issues in our life like an earthly prison. We sometimes look at things shackled and we don't fully comprehend that God's vision is for something much bigger. I think sometimes the angel's kicking us in the ribs and we're still just laying on the ground. Worries me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or sometimes the shackles have come off and we're still just sitting there. Greater is he that lives within me than he that lives in the world. There is so much more. But I think that we let the world, we let the enemy kind of think that we are chained when we're not. I had the privilege of talking to a young person this week. And um, I said to him that the devil is not even on the same scale as God's power. But the thing that the devil does is the devil is the father of so what does he do? He lies. He lies to you about how powerful he is. He lies to you that you've got no hope and plan in a future. He lies, he lies, he lies. And what do we do? Sometimes we listen. I think that for some of us, the angel of the Lord has come and we're not listening. We're sitting in the, our own wounds. We're sitting in our own hurt. But God is calling us into something else. All right. I think we're up to verse 10. We're working our way through. Ah, there it is, down the bottom. Uh, but he had no idea that the angel, what the angel was doing, and if it was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
Um, I think I'm going to be like that when we walk into our church building in the miracle. I'm going to be like, this is a vision. This isn't really happening. You'll be like, no, Dre, this is real. This is happening. I'll be like, no, it can't be. They passed the first and the second gates and came to an iron gate uh, leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Uh, And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left them. An iron gate, you're not supposed to be able to get through an iron gate. Not in the middle of the night. They have city watches. They have sentries so that they don't get attacked. You're not supposed to be walking in and out of the city or different parts of the city. There's a curfew. But it opened up. Can we just close our eyes for 20 seconds? And I just want to speak. I just want to say to whoever is here today, if you are feeling like you've been shackled, if you're feeling like you're at an iron gate and you can't get past or you can't get in or you can't get past this through this thing that you is a, is a blockage, I just want you to know that God is with you. You've got to do what you've got to do in the possible, but he does the impossible. And if you're here this morning and you're feeling like, gosh, you know, I feel like metaphorically I'm in front of that iron gate. It might be marriage. It might be work. It might be finances. It could be health issues. But if that's you, I would ask of you to put your hand up. Not right now, but pop your hand up quickly. But I am also going to ask that people would pray for you. They don't have to know everything. They just have to pray and declare. We're just going to do what Scripture says. The church gathered together and they prayed. So right now, if you're that person, could you be brave? Would you be willing to step up, walk with God as He opens this for you? Would you raise your hand now, if that's okay? Awesome. Now, everybody else, if you could just keep your hands up for a second, everybody else, look up. All right, if you are sitting around a person, say hello to them really quickly and say, can I pray for you? Don't be weird about it. Be short. Just declare God's provision. Declare God's power, God's grace, God's healing. Don't have to have a big conversation. And uh, do that. And if there's no one really close to you, you can just reach out. So can we have those people's hands up really high? All right. Do that now. You've got one minute. Thank you, Mr. Soundman. And let's just pray. Father, we thank you for these people right now, Lord. Father, we thank you and we pray God's grace over them, God's provision over them in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Keep going. I'm going to pray for those who are watching online. Lord, I thank you for those. Father, I thank you for those who are watching online who have their hands up today. Lord, we pray for your provision. We pray for your anointing. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your favor over anyone watching today that needs a breakthrough, needs that iron gate open in your name. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Father, we thank you for everyone that's been prayed for today. Lord, we don't know the full story, but we know that you do, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your provision, your saving grace, your mercies, and your forgiveness. And we speak them over everyone who's raised their hand today. In your mighty name, amen. Thank you, team. It's cool that we can pray together. It's important. First century church did it. We can do it as well.
Then Peter came to himself, verse 11, and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were uh, anticipating. That's his death. And when, uh, when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people gathered uh, and were praying. They believe, historians believe, that this house might actually have been where the upper room was, interestingly enough. Um, Peter knocked, and at the outer entrance they had like a courtyard, um, and there was like a big uh, gate, and then um, you'd often have your... Um, animals and other bits and pieces in that courtyard area. So there was an outer gate, and he was knocking, and then this girl named Rhoda, which means Rose, came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, because they had been praying for who? They'd been praying for Peter. So she saw Peter, and she opened the... No, she didn't. (laughs) Uh, She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. (laughs) Why did she not open the door? I don't understand. Okay, moving on. You're out of your mind, they told her, when she kept insisting that it was. So they said it must be his angel. Interesting theology. But Peter kept on knocking. Persistence is key in prayer and uh, breakthrough in prayer. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and... um, uh, and describe how the Lord had brought him out of that. And on your study guides, it says um, they prayed something with a C, uh, not something. They prayed continually, but not expectantly. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. But I think there is something sometimes in praying with expectation that God's actually going to turn up. God's actually going to do something. So it's cool that they were praying. Awesome. But they weren't expecting, like they literally, hey, uh, that thing you're praying for has just arrived at the door. No, you've got it. you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Let's keep praying. I'm believing for breakthrough in your lives. Are you? All right. It's described how God had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the others about this. He said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion. Basically, uh, Luke, who's the author of, Oaks, uh, of Acts, his way of saying, there was a big commotion among the soldiers uh, to what had become of Peter. Uh, after Herod had a thorough search made for him, he did not find him. They cross-examined the guards and ordered all of them to be ex- executed. Great. <laughs> Who would even sign up for that job, especially with the disciples hanging around? I'd be like, no way. I'm going to go do something else. I've got to be a fisherman. Uh, then Herod from Judea to Caesarea stayed up there for a while. He had been quartering with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now they joined together and sought an audience with them. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace. Uh, it goes on here a little bit. Uh, and then on the appointed day, God's appointed day, Herod uh, wearing his royal robes, which apparently were like silver in color, and he glistened in the sun. Um, looking amazing, they shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Whew. There's a whole uh, um, uh, podcast about what they think Herod actually had. This big, I think it's called a wolf tape wound they think he had, and it cysts, and I've got a picture. No, I don't. <laughs> But um, 
it was gross, and he died. He didn't give praise to God. Let's give praise to God, eh? <laughs> but the word of God continued to increase and spread, and when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, uh, they returned from Jerusalem, um, taking with them John and also Mark. All right, a couple of thoughts. You know, belief is really important. I think this is what Matt was talking about as well. Belief is really important. I believe that God can, but I'm expecting that God will. There is something to be said about belief. I don't know, this isn't working anymore, sorry, Ed. That belief and faith, when working together, are a powerful thing. What does the faith step for your belief look like? I believe God's going to send me overseas. Cool, what are you doing about it? You're not going to open every door, maybe, but you could go get a passport. What are you doing? Put some shoes on that faith. (laughs) Let's see what God does. Try the door if you believe that's what God said. Faith and belief partnering together is a powerful combination. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The thing about Herod, a reminder of Herod is this. King Herod Agrippa I. Next one. He's a natural power pretending to be a God. But here's the cool thing. Next one. Ultimately succumbing to the only powerful supernatural God. The enemy is a liar. He wants you to believe in the power and the chains that are on you. that aren't actually there in Christ Jesus. Step in the freedom that he actually says you have. Ask for God's provision. Ask for God's walking and, and uh, leading in this moment. My takeaway point. You can, uh, after the service, you can fill in what you would like to write. Prayer is for now. Prayer is for when you have no hope. Prayer changes lives. And you actually owe it to your friends to pray. Like as a church, we pray. This issue that we're facing, because I'm using the church building as an example, just because it's not anything personal. No one's going to be offended by me talking about it. It's not something we're overly worried about. It's not going to be a focus for church, but it is something we're believing God to do. We actually have a right as brothers and sisters in Christ to come together and pray. I think I wrote there about family um, somewhere. Oh, I don't know where it is now. But I wrote something like, um, when a family member, when a church family member's on their back, beaten and chained, it's actually our responsibility to be on our knees. Are you praying, let's get back to the building because we're just talking about it, are you praying for the church building? Are you taking the time as, as to own, hey look God, we, we, we don't know how it works, but we are praying for provision, we're praying for this. Are you praying for your friends? Lyndon just said, what would you do if you had 24 hours left? Who thought of their friends? I call my friends. I thought of other fun things I'd do as well. I did think, I was like, I'd take my car into a big paddock. Do a big donut. I'm, I'm going to be honest. That's what I said. That's what I thought. After a list of personal, intimate, relational conversations I have with people, my last three minutes are going to be going sideways in circles. Hey, I'm from Hamilton. I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay. Hey, can we stand to our feet and we get the, the worship band up, please? My takeaway point is this. We need to be purposefully. That's supposed to be purposefully, but that's right. Next one. Purposefully, partnership, purposeful partnership in prayer. 
A purposeful partnership in prayer produces phenomenal results. <laughs> if anyone could think of the appropriate word that starts with P, please let me know because I couldn't think of it. Purposeful partnership in prayer produces phenomenal results. Power, I don't know. Lord, we thank you that actually your prayer is powerful. Father, we thank you right now. We're just going to take 30 seconds as the worship team just play some beautiful music in the background. Can you just think of those people that you need to pray for? You've got 30 seconds right now. You have the power and the strength and the ability in Christ to just pray. Just claim that right now. Could you? All right, let's actually break the sound barrier. You don't have to do it loudly, but let's do it together. All right, you've got 30 seconds. Pray just quietly out loud. Let's go. break open a a prison several times over. Father, we thank you for that. I declare it over everybody here this morning. Father, I pray that there would be a freedom in their spirits and in their lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you're struggling, if there's anything you'd like prayer for around perhaps that sort of idea of chains and bondage and stuff like that, we'd love to pray for you after the service.